0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 11, our first look at the new NAIL-NIT consortium that has come into being to study direct links between NITs and outcomes and what these links can tell us about trial design and therapeutic success. In this conversation, our panelists discuss how difficult to execute histopathology standards have presented business challenges in getting drug-approved and, more striking to me, moral challenges – in being unable to admit patients with clear NASH fibrosis into clinical trials due to not having balloon hepatocyte cells on their slides. It ends with Sensindaram noting that we have more data on many NITs today than we did when originally establishing histopathology guidelines. Think about that one for a minute. Nail NIT has the potential to deliver relatively timely results, perhaps even starting in a year or two, on issues that will improve every element of how we develop and approve medications and tests for NAFLD and NASH. It's a big thing. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, please Join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. What has been the biggest challenge in getting to this point? And how successfully do you feel you've resolved that?
1: Stephen Harrison.
2: The biggest challenge to get to this point is we, it's like anything else, you, you've got to fail to learn where you can improve. And there have been a series of really what I would call catastrophic failures in drug development in NASH that have Really centered around histopathology. Ones that I personally have been involved with would be MSDC 0602K with Serious Therapeutics, where it was shown that one pathologist, you know, really depending on how you looked at the data, was positive or negative. And then when we had two additional pathologists look at the data, we published that in a subsequent paper and showed that agreement was was less than 50%. And quite frankly, if you look at the power needed to enroll a trial. To actually overcome the hurdles of the variability in reading, it was it was astronomical. More recently, we, we had a very similar issue happen with aldefermin, which I think we would all agree is a drug that definitely has biological activity in the liver. And so it's it's frustrating to see that. And then more recently, with the advent of AI digital pathology, in particular using a laser to identify target histopathologic lesions, you know, and, and we published this paper just recently. Recently in J-Hep, it was presented at NASHTAG, and the one image that stands out over and over again is the lone sexy balloon hepatocyte that all nine pathologists could agree on out of 1,100 balloon topatocytes. Only one. Everybody else had the glass slipper and just couldn't find the fit. That, to me, was really just the the watershed moment that said, we've got to do better. It's not a a nice thing to be working on. It's not an additive thing to be working on. It's an absolute must have. And about the same time that we reached that conclusion, other people were reaching the same conclusion and we all kind of came together very quickly. And kudos again to Sin and Amy for stepping up because, you know, a long time ago, we talked about combining data. We talked about putting a consortium together where we shared all the collective data that had been generated, and it just didn't ever come to fruition. And it might be that people were just incredibly busy. They're trying to do their own thing. And again, there's not a sense of purpose. There was not that like-mindedness, if you will, and a sense of urgency to change the paradigm. We have come to that point now, and we are rapidly coalescing with a similar mindset to do what has needed to be been done for a long long time, but we just didn't. We didn't take the necessary steps to do so.
1: Sen
3: Maybe, uh, Roger, I'll jump in with a quick thought there. There have been a lot of really great initiatives that have been mentioned here, right? Nimble, Litmus, and, and others that I think focus primarily on linking NITs to histopathologic endpoints, right? And probably the, the biggest change that I've heard over the last year has been the FDA and several individuals at, at, at FDA indicating that you know, they'd like to see alternative surrogate endpoints that are linked to out outcomes, right, that uh, linking to biopsy isn't sort of the, the path to getting a, 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 an alternative endpoint. You really need to link that to, to outcomes. And I'd couple of that also with data uh, that has emerged over the last couple of years, showing that in a, in a moderately advanced group of NASH patients, you know, sort of F2, F3s, that you can get to outcomes in a relatively short period of time, right? You don't necessarily need to follow a cohort of patients for 10 to 15 years. You might be able to follow them for three to five or, or seven years and see a meaningful full improvement in outcomes. For me, those are
4: probably the two biggest changes that I've seen over the last year or so.
1: Jaren Schattenberg.
4: I'm, I'm exactly on the same page like Send and Steven. I add to it the patients that I have been in, in contact with, especially when I enter them into clinical trial or offer it to them. And I get a biopsy that is natural for fibrosis F2 or 3 sometimes, but there's no ballooning cell. And I don't know what to do with the patient. I go to them and it's like, well, you're, you're not qualified. You did not mm. meet the criteria, but you do have a disease. And the patient is looking at me he's like, huh, what? So it has been an issue for a lot of patients. And people might say it happens once in a while. No, the screening failure is quite high in clinical trials. We really need to move beyond that. It's unfair, almost unethical to to the patients that they have fibrosis that are correlated with morbidity and mortality. Yet they are not in because balloon cell was not there. We also want to re-emphasize on Sen's comment about uh, the litmus and, and nimble as well as the liver form. We have seen tons of effort started there. Recently, we started seeing data that was presented at ASLD, uh, first presentation from uh, Nimble, and um, Litmus had multiple meta-analyses. We are taking a lot of their findings, like, for instance, biomarker reproducibility. The nail would IT will not do something like that. We will benefit from our assistant consortium, and we don't have to do reproducibility, but we really want to take it beyond the biopsy, as Sen mentioned, and uh, reach the outcomes. It's an effort that takes a mountain because it's a lot of patients, a lot of funding, and it requires multiple sites. So the sites have to be efficient, quick contracting, a lot of patients. The study will be concluded in the United States as well as in other countries. We'll have a lot of academic center, but the bread and butter of this will be the community sites, which will make this cohort as a real-world cohort. For instance, Summit uh, Consortium has a great part of these community sites, and of course, we'll add others. But in addition to the outcomes, uniqueness of this NLNIT, IT, it is going to also represent a real-world cohort data that a lot of clinics, regular clinics, will be doing it. Sure, they're experienced in national clinical trials, but it's really like your day-to-day patient. Okay, that's great. Amy, you have anything you want to add?
1: Amy Articolo. Yeah, I would echo everything that everyone said, which is spot on, right? But the other thing I would add is that very much what Mazen was talking about in terms of the patient is we have to turn these patients away, right? And that's based on the the criteria we have now. So here, they're losing hope yet again, right? And so in order to fill that and meet the patients where they, they need to be and thinking about not just today of what we have, but what the future will be, the ambitions of the future, when if you could imagine a future three to five years from now where we do have the opportunity to treat these patients, we want to be able to provide the clinicians who are seeing these patients the ways to be able to monitor them and to be able to treat them with the respect and dignity that they deserve. And in order to do that, we have to have that data to support this change that we want to see happen, to get beyond the biopsy and to have the type of tests that will be able to reflect the patient, what's really going on with the patient, and not worry about that one isolated balloon cell or lack of balloon cell. We want to be able to have the tests that are going to provide the patient what they need, and be able to provide them the right information on the status of their disease. Because currently, we're failing that. So for me, it's about hope and providing the patients hope, and we need to work together to get us to that area where we're meeting the patients where their needs are, and to give the give hope back.
2: And just to build off that, you know, maybe I'll set this up for Sin to provide input on so. I think Vlad Ratu summarized it very, very nicely at NASHTAG, whether it's MRI, CT1, multi-parametric MRI, MRI elastography, ELF score, FIB4, FIB4 plus FIB4, Fibra scan. We have data that link a surrogate to an outcome, and not just a little data. We've got decent numbers of data in more than one data set. Mazin, you have your data set with MRE from Cedars. Alina Allen has hers from Mayo Clinic with MRE. When you look at the data that's been pulled together by Prospectum with, with multi-parametric MRI and CT1, that's linked to an outcome measure as well through data that's being collected at the UK Biobank. We have tons and tons of data now with Fib4 and BCTE and even Fib4 alone. And ELF has done the same thing. So, Sin, if you were to look at the data that was collected in PBC with alkaline phosphatase, when you guys sat down and began to contextualize and build the skeleton of what that would look like for the FDA did you have more data than what we already have relative to what I just mentioned? Or were you kind of at the same point and we really just needed to come together as an organization and speak with one unified voice? And I think Donna Cryer, speaking for the Global Liver Institute, really did an incredible job of bringing the voice of the patient to the table in front of the FDA as well. And And I think there's just a huge groundswell of support that's outside of the people that are on this particular call today. When I look at the volume of data that's been generated to date in these independent studies, I can't help but think that if the FDA is interested in pivoting to a surrogate non-invasive or a composite surrogate of non-invasives, that potentially were there. What do you think relative to PBC? Am I overstepping that a bit?
3: Yeah, one, I don't want to take credit for all of the work that was done in PBC. It predates my time a little bit at Intercept, and and certainly there were a lot of other uh, of your peers in the hepatology community that contributed a lot of data. And I think they in PBC benefited from having a decade or, or two of retrospective data on, on the use of UDCA in, in PBC patients. The challenge, though, is that that data wasn't all standardized, right? So the the, the, the big exercise is really standardizing that data across centers, across labs and, and, and whatnot. Um, the comparison I use, actually, Stephen, which may be better, maybe worse, is if we think about the amount of data that we have now for NITs and NASH, right? And pick your NIT. We probably have more data now. Now than is cited to support histopathology in uh, current guidance, right? And I think there are two papers there's the X-STEP paper, and uh, there, there may be one other paper, which I think only have maybe 100, 200 uh, patients' worth of data. I, I, I would argue, I, I would bet that we have much more data now collected on, on each of these NITs than uh, supports uh, or the, than is referenced in the guidance documents.
1: And now, back to Roger.
3: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If
0: you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with an episode honoring Black History Month, looking at how the interplay of genomics and social determinants of health shape the challenges inherent in treating NAPL and NASH among non Hispanic blacks in the U.S. and presumably wherever else non Hispanic blacks live. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you next week on Surfing the NASH Tsunami Podcast. Bye bye now.